0: This is Better Read Than Dead, a literature podcast from a left perspective. I'm Megan. I'm Tristan. I'm Katie. And today we are discussing The Man of Feeling, which is Henry Mackenzie's 1771 sentimental novel about yet another feckless boob <laughs> with all the feels. <laughs> so, Tristan, why The Man of Feeling?
1: yeah um you know i don't know like you 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 do have the right line there about the feckless boob sort of being the hero of the 18th century novel which i had never I'm really thought i'm
0: proud of that coinage i <laughs> like... <laughs> well, i, I actually think
1: i actually think there's something there about like the way like the the novel that period wants to envision like typicality or like the every anyway but yeah it's it's right Also, it's the just going right. on a trip part <laughs> yeah the, yeah exactly Yeah, so why did I make you guys read this book? Well, it absolutely slaps. I love it so much. I first read it about a decade ago in coursework for my PhD and thought it was just amazingly but unintentionally hilarious. I have to say on rereading, I think it's much smarter than I did when I read it in like 2009 or 2010, because it seems to me now just to be much more aware of the critique of its own genre that it encodes. Like a lot of the stuff that is funny, it's like, yeah, it's supposed to be funny. It's not that it's you know funny in spite of itself or, or because it's being dumb or whatever. So, yeah. And why else did I think it would be good to talk about this? Partially because we discuss sentimentality a lot, you know, and a lot on the show, and how the American context and the sentimental novel is famously said, sent- bread and butter. Yeah, it is. Like at the end of the 19th century, it absolutely is, and it's uh, you know, the sentimental novel is like famously central to abolitionist discourse. Also, as Katie has told us, pro-slavery discourse, and how some really important people like Melville and Richard Wright really took the sentimental tradition to task for its political limitations, as in feeling bad or making someone feel bad or having a good cry about something is not meaningful political action. Mm-hmm. And, and yes, by the way, again, pro-slavery writers used it too. So it's not like whatever politic it has just points at one good direction. It doesn't. No, um,
2: Tristan, things are either good or bad. <laughs> well, I <laughs> especially mean, you know, novelistic there, style.
0: Yeah. There's a-
1: there's an unfortunate, uh, I guess, proclivity in some left cultural critique to kind of think of those terms, which is obnoxious, but we we don't do that on this show. This
0: is good, and this makes you a <laughs> counter-revolutionary.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yes, There, there is daylight between, you know, fucking uh, working class hero and counter-revolutionary. But yeah, I mean, the sentimental novel in Britain, though, like, you know, it's a 100 years before that, when it, it gets going middle of the 18th century. And it was both hugely popular and subject to many of the same critiques as it would be in the US. So like, when I first read this and like for the last decade, my line on Henry Mackenzie until now had been that Lawrence Stern's a sentimental journey is the smart satire of the genre, whereas Mackenzie is just like the balls out. I'm going to make you cry until you puke sentimental novel on crack. <laughs> uh, and like, that's why it reads so goofy to us in 2021. But I don't know. Maybe it's I just know a lot more about the period I study than I did uh, back then. But I uh, yeah, I, I think that this novel knows we're always right up against the ridiculous at the very least, uh, which is cool. And I can't wait to hear what you guys think of this fucking weird. book.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm excited that I think we can probably have it both ways. You know, it's like if it's serious, it's this. And if it's like yeah. hilarious, it's this. Yeah.
1: And, and, I, and I think that like the smart things you can say about it work regardless of how like intentional you want to think that is, you know.
2: I think the important thing is that in all the funny parts that we take a good amount of time to explain the jokes.
0: People <laughs> yes. like yeah. that.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. People yeah, yeah. love it. Yeah. yeah.
2: So um,
0: Katie, why'd you want to read it? Oh, reread it probably, right?
2: This is like a still unsettled question. I think I was supposed to read it and just fucked off and never did is like my conclusion here.
0: Uh, uh, or if it's more... If it's typical grad school, it's like I skimmed... I read the first chapter and then I zipped through it.
2: Did I read it? Yes. I read it. <laughs> if anyone asks, it's been read. But this this time I really did read it for real. No shit at all. But yeah, no, I think that the main reason I wanted to read this was just to like to learn stuff like to just to learn with a guy (laughs) to learn with a man of feeling it's I've been looking around everywhere and there's there are all these men of no feeling and then we have a whole book about a man of all feelings and so (laughs) I think I think they're in short supply and we want to Make sure that when we encounter one, we know what to do. So I was in part looking for some techniques there. And, (laughs) you know, when you see a man of feeling, usually what he'll be doing is if he's at a party, let's say, he'll be the guy who's crying. And what you want to do is mirror his behavior by using the ABC technique, which is always be crying. (laughs)
0: <laughs> always
2: be crying makes it very fun it one makes, day oh so much fun so much fun you want there to be a steady stream of liquids coming out of you all the time it's best if it's from the eyes but really it's catch as catch can so <laughs> you know and if there isn't liquid coming out of anywhere on you do better Learn something from this book, which I also learned more from. It goes back to a theme that uh, time is a flat circle because this in a way I think is a Powerade commercial more than anything else (laughs) because, yeah, everyone knows the electrolyte stuff is bullshit. Like it's just salt. It's just salt, people. It's Mm -hmm. salt. Electrolytes are salt. Right. But when you've been crying that much, you really do need it. So it got me in the kind of sporting mindset, and, <laughs> um, and it reminded me that emotions aren't things you have. They're not inside of you. They're a sport, and sports are for winners, and I learned a lot about sporting from this book. I learned that you should just do it, whether just doing it is <laughs> Getting in a weird mood and pinching a dog's ears. Um, uh (laughs) That's something you want to do. If you see a sad person, you have to make them talk to you for four hours before you give them some of your daddy's money. Yeah.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, because it's transactional, right? Like they, that you are paying them for the pleasure of crying with them.
2: (laughs) Yeah. For their
0: sadness. (laughs) Well, you always, I love to encounter a chapter that begins like, I was born on a November evening, and my father was a tailor, and it, and it's just like, oh fuck, we're here again, we're in the 18th century again, man. Like
2: my life story. I'm writing this after my shift at the crying factory where we make the tears. Yeah. I just bought stock in Kleenex. Yeah, you and the GameStop people are going to be mm-hmm. rolling we're in just it. Stuck. Yeah. I also hope to be rich as fuck because I'm back on my Don Draper bullshit, and I'm going to make it in the advertising business, so here's my advertisement for the book. Are you ready? Yep. Can't wait. Okay. Sadness is a marathon, not a sprint, so make sure you have the proper gear, like a carriage that you might barf in, (laughs) and a pen for writing a shitty color. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <was both>. yeah. <laughs> a, a rag for when you cum your pants and die mm-hmm. uh-huh. always be prepared and that means always be crying this message was brought to you by crylestra it's like a Lestra, <laughs> but for tears in that it's tears diarrhea that we're having
0: right. yeah, it just <laughs> lubes
2: right. the tears just... right out of you yep. yeah. they, they fall freely out of you at a rate that can't be healthy <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, those were fun. Straight, you know, too uh, old for a lot of our listeners. But yeah, that, when Olestra first came out, there were all these stories like, "I hate this bag of
0: like, potato chips or something." Yeah,
2: right? and
1: then it yeah. started leaking out my ass.
2: <laughs> oh, I mean, I used to just house Olestra Pringles, and but I did. I've never shit my pants. <laughs> so eat that. Oh,
0: no. <laughs> and other things to be proud of. <laughs> um, okay, so I, I think we can agree that I have been extremely nice about the feckless boob shit on this show. Like, I've had a great sense of humor about Francis Osbaldistone et al. <laughs> <laughs> the men, they have feels and they fall off the roof. Yep. But I think that this time I will draw a line in the sand and it turns out that that line is feckless boobs who are also giant crysacks. <laughs> and this book it's about giant cry it's for giant cry and i can only assume it was reviewed by giant Crysax, who said full of crying five stars good reads <laughs> yeah congratulations yeah it's full sacks too it it's full sacks yeah the hero of this novel has some tummy issues for example aforementioned carriage he can't ride in the way way back because he gets barfy like when you ride backward on the bus and you know we get each other because of that um <laughs> but he also has some like feelings issues and given our present times i actually like kind of need a break from feelings
2: yeah.
0: but i like that he hands people money that's good and i also like that this book begins in chapter 11 yes i went back and i was like wait what did i wait what is wrong with my book
1: yeah yeah it's
0: <laughs> like oopsie i forgot the first bit so like that's cool
1: <laughs> yeah yeah no it's 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 great yes it's it's uh it's very uh i don't know po- postmodern, i feel like a fucking like high school senior would say <laughs> no, yeah. yeah
0: yeah
2: Ooh, what a funny trick yeah did you bo- you both have the index of tears right
1: Yes. Yeah, I've got the index of tears. Henry Morley's index of tears, yeah.
2: No, I didn't read it. Should I have?
1: it's appendix three in the oxford yeah I'll, I'll talk about that but uh yeah well it's funny too but like when you said that uh it was like pe- people cries like i cried five stars there is i i think yeah the um, editor of the oxford talks about this and i think it is well i think it's walter scott's niece although i could be wrong on who this is but it's it's written in like the middle of the 19th century so about 100 years later and she's older and she's like you know i just reread the man of feeling and when i was young we were all like this is So moving, and now I think it's the dumbest fucking thing I've ever (laughs) read. So like, there. I mean, I think one thing, like how we interpret it, there is like, I think we do need to recognize, like, it was thought of as quite serious in 1771, but like 60 years later, it was like, what the fuck?
0: (laughs) So, (laughs) I mean, I appreciate that a lot. Also, I think that's like the story of the novel, right? Like, yeah, yeah, that almost you know i can't people read on the road you know like
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah, there are some things that
0: age so badly that it's just like it's the opposite of tristram shandy right which is like yeah wow this shit was like wacky and the wackier the better (laughs) like the wackier the wackier it is the longer it survives or something (laughs) yes
1: exactly Yeah.
0: Or at least in its intended form. Yeah. So, some
1: <laughs> some novels are like a fine wine, and some are like an egg salad sandwich in the sun. Right? <laughs> like, you know, yeah. that?
0: Some are Like <laughs> hot
2: mayo. <laughs> <laughs> Which apparently everything in the fifties was made with. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's true. Yeah. It's a
2: uh, mayo and canned pineapple. Yeah. Yum.
0: Anyway, so today we're talking about bodies and feelings and that entanglement. We're talking about politics and empire, and we're talking about money and the economic questions that the book poses. So uh, Tristan, give us the summary. All
1: right. Who's ready to cry? Or I mean, laugh a lot because <laughs> this a is ridiculous. Really yeah, <laughs> I will say I, I, the appendix that Katie just referenced. Yes, Victorian critic Henry Morley, and so this was at a period of time when, at least in Britain, it was like, oh, we are so much smarter than the sentimental novel. He he catalogued. Almost fifty separate references to tears in this book, which is not even a hundred pages long. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, but multiple. I love how the
0: people who are like the we're doing the realist novel. All of them are eight hundred pages, so we're gonna shit on <laughs> yeah, right. the eighteenth century. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, so uh, I, I'll start with that form of weirdness of the book uh, that Megan mentioned. Uh, you know, it, it is quite strange, and I think. That strangeness is saying some things about what Mackenzie wants to explore vis-a-vis the sentimental. And if any of our dear listeners are still harboring ideas that novels were like square and normy, you know, realism, linear plots until the 20th century, uh, and were not disabused of, of, of that idea by Tristram Shandy, Fanny Hill, really anything I've talked about on this show, <laughs> uh, maybe this will come as a surprise. So our protagonist is this dude named Harley, uh, who is the man of feeling of the title, He's gentleman class, though, at the periphery of the, of the gentlemanliness, And he's just a guy who has big feels, man. Like, he fe- yeah, he feels deeply. You know, he's a very sensitive guy. Uh, but Harley isn't the author. Uh, the, the author presumably is a character who is introduced only as the ghost who we are told by whoever the fuck is, I mean, well, Henry McKenzie, but whoever Henry McKenzie is asking us to envision writing this, quote, a grave, oddish kind of man boarded at a farmer's in this parish. He never frequented any of the clubs hereabouts, yet for all he used to walk at night, he was as gentle as a lamb at times. So like, um, you know, both goth and emo, I guess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> a, a cry a cry, ghost. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Tr- Tristan, if you, the end of that quote is, is the, about how gentle he is when he's playing with all the kids. And it's like, this guy seems really weird. <laughs> yes. Let's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. play with the kids. Yeah, you know, are right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I... I left that out. You're right, which I feel like is kind of an important detail. <laughs> but yes, it is. Yes, it's because he's, he's playing with the kids and how, how sweet that looks, even though he's like this creepy weirdo who walks, in, you know, in the middle of the night through the countryside. Like, yeah. And, and so, like, I want to underscore that, like, who who is the author? Uh, because I think that sense of remove and, and not fitting in with society in some way, like both the ghost and Harley is central to the sentimental hero as Mackenzie sketches it. You know, they're like, yeah, because like, so the ghost doesn't fit in, neither does this guy that he wrote this life history of. And so that's something to think about. But wait, I haven't even told you who is like putting this together. It's not from the ghost, although he did write this. Uh, rather, we have an editor who is reassembling the ghost fragmentary narrative about Harley. And why is it in fragments? Well, it's because a curate, who is a low ranking priest of the Church of England, who hunts with this editor guy. Has been using it as gun wadded, like for his
0: musket. <laughs> and, so and the 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 curator, what, like, what a brilliant, clever ruse we found ourselves in. <laughs> yes.
2: I love how just in the 18th century you can't say I I wrote something. Look at it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> right, right yeah, it's yeah, yeah, So cool. No, I know. Well, yeah, because everything was anonymously. And, you know, and, and, well, partially because writing for a living was viewed as like, you know, gauche or something to a degree. And, and also, like, if you were a woman novelist, there were many women novelists in the 18th century. There was all kind of like gendered uh, restrictions around that. But most don't give you three separate layers at least <laughs> yeah. of move. You know, that is a little weird. But, uh, okay, so, like, so why was the curate doing this to this manuscript? So here's what he says he the meaning the ghost left the parish and went nobody knows whether and in his room was found a bundle of papers which was brought to me the curate by his landlord i began to read them but i soon grew weary of the task for besides that the hand is so intolerably bad i could never find the author in one strain for two chapters together and i don't believe there's a single syllogism from beginning to end
0: <laughs> so, I mean, so it's you like, read it fuckface?
1: exactly yeah. i mean i I don't disagree with the curate about how ridiculous it is, although with the, like, I want a syllogism and a, and a moral, he might have some expectations for what literature does than we do. But anyway, so the unnamed guy who becomes the editor is intrigued, and he has also been carried around uh, this edition of the German Illustrisimi He was using that as gunwadding, and the curate's like, I like that. So they trade manuscripts, and, and, and the curate sets about trying to piece back together the bundle of papers with machine chapters and pages, so, again, there's a lot to think about about fragmentariness, like narratives within narratives. Uh, and, and I think also an 18th century sense of how or whether a novel is meant to be didactic, which, like, that does seem to be one of the things the Curate doesn't like about this. But I also think, like, you know, Mackenzie's narrative does have some kind of pretensions, at least, to, like, teaching you something about the world. So, yeah. Um, so we'll, I'm sure we'll come back to that. OK, so finally, we're to the novel, like what this is what this is, is actually about. And the rest of the novel consists of vignettes that serve as vehicles for Harley to hear someone's sad tale and then cry about it with them in scenes that are definitely verging on or fully within the erotic like what katie was saying at the opening like that i mean that's not i mean it's extremely funny but yeah like there is a lot of like kind of pornographic <laughs> implications yeah. for, for this and the, the bodily fluids yeah i mean that yes definitely let let your brain go wild with what that's supposed
2: to mean. <laughs> you're doing it right
1: you're doing it right. And actually, that, you know, that gets to an 18th century anxiety about the sentimental, like the proximity of sentiment, and writing about feeling and the pornographic, a lot of 18th century conservative cultural critics really were freaked out about that, like this, like this is this is dirty in some way. Yeah. And and, and there are also a few moments in which a voice that seems like it must be the author, like the ghost. So like the, the second guy of this mix, offers an aside narrative or like a fable that contains some reflection on human behavior. Although, you know, you know, generally that's tenuous. Uh, that's related to the main plot, such as there is.
0: <laughs> such as there is. Such as there is. Yeah, it's, yeah. A tri- it's a trip. He's there and back again.
1: There and back again, and not much happens. But he does feel a lot. So maybe a lot happens. You know, maybe we're <laughs> looking for the wrong, the wrong thing when we want progress or, or, or development.
2: The feelings you were looking for were inside of you all <laughs> along.
0: It's true. You are yeah. you are a cry sack. You're just a bag full of tears.
1: Exactly. So, yeah, I'll tell you a little bit more about Harley and then sketch some of the most important vignettes. Harley is an orphan. He's an adult now when we meet him. His his father had left him, you know, when his father died in the care of a bunch of friends and relatives – as I said, he's on the periphery of being a gentleman. Like the family has, I think it's given it 250 pounds per year, which in the mid 18th century, that's, that's like comfortable, but you don't have a carriage, you don't have an estate or anything like that. Uh, but you also don't like work for Bolivian kind of right to get him more money. His, his relatives, particularly the aunt he lives with, urge him to go to London to get some aristocrat in the neighborhood. To get the king to give him the lease to this large farm that he can then sublet and become a big landlord asshole. But, With you a know, large adult farm. A large adult farm. Uh, <laughs> but he's and maybe he's a malice because he doesn't really seem into this. But uh,
0: He doesn't. He doesn't like, um, it shouldn't be a landlord. Yeah, yeah.
1: And yes, he is a hapless boob, which, as Megan has correctly argued, is the true hero of the 18th century novel. He, he loses out on the lease to another dipshit. And then he gets had by all manner of con men and card sharks, meets a lot of sad people with sad cry stories. And then he goes home where he dies. I think of horniness. We'll definitely talk about that. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure that's yeah. what kills him. That sounds right. Again, the main thing, though, we need to know about him is he has the feels. And, and so an example of this, the ghost tells us at one point what Harley thinks is, is hot in, in, in a lady quote harley's notion of the kalos ancient greek word there were beautiful were not always to be defined nor indeed such as the world would always assent to though we could define them a blush a phrase of affability to an inferior a tear at a moving tail were to him like the cestus of cytherea unequaled in conferring beauty <laughs> So you like, it. as Katie said, you want to attract the man of feeling, you got you got to put on those tears, you know,
2: yep. um, it's yeah. so good to just be like, what I like in a woman is if she's crying, if she's a little <laughs> bit nice. And if she looks like she's gonna barf.
1: <laughs> yeah and like i mean you, you bring up something very important there which is the and again something that i think that the novel at some level is aware of is the exploitativeness of this right like i mean oh it shows like his great sympathetic capacity for the world but it also it's so fucking transactional like yes he like gets off in some way whether that's sexual <laughs> or what else in <laughs> other people's like emotional distress which is fucked up and again i think the novel is kind of a of that but um, i also yeah.
0: like that the woman that he's talking about in that moment he has to make sure that we know that she's not like that pretty so it's like <laughs>
1: right yes yeah right, right. that's good a job
0: <laughs> harley and like being nice to her all of it's like her yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 is she funny
1: well yeah, yeah. she, she may- she, she she may not you know not not have the beauty that the world would always ascend to but she can cry really well so that that makes up for a lot <laughs> i know what the fuck it's right a
2: for every pot full of tears
0: <laughs> her complexion was mellowed into a paleness which certainly took from her beauty like yeah yeah right 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 yeah but but,
1: but but made pale. her look a little icky it, yes, and and well, she's pale, so sickly. Perhaps there's some tragedy to be had there. Or, you know,
2: like, ooh, uh, maybe she'll die, or maybe I'll die, or ooh,
1: or she, or she can't get a tad. That's tragic in and of itself, right?
2: We can cry into each other's hair. <laughs>
1: So some other things to know about Harley. He's super trusting of people, although he also believes in physiognomy, which is this 18th century fixation that you can read someone's character by the details of their face. It has some like relationship to like phrenology of the of the 19th century. But the novel thinks this is ridiculous. And basically, thinks this leads uh, Harley astray all the time. Or if it doesn't lead him astray, it's purely by chance. Like I think the novel's fairly clear about that. That uh, that Harley wants this to mean something that it does not, in fact, in the world mean. And,
0: Those card sharks look awfully friendly.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. He's like, oh, this this gentleman <laughs> looks so nice that he takes him for all of his money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, right. Like, at, at, you know, to, exactly to that. In addition to losing out on the lease because of his feckless boobery, he loses all of his field trip money because he can't stop getting
0: caught. Yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> And then, yeah, he just he cries with people. He visits Bedlam, uh, which is, of course, the notorious London Mental Hospital, which, yeah, was a tourist attraction in the period, which is extremely gross. But in comparison to the people that Harley goes with, he's like extra, extra moved by by this and, and does not, you know, his his not his his vicarious thrills are all good because they're crying and not, you know, what other, the other assholes are are doing.
2: Everybody is a pervert in some manner or way. <laughs> and the thing about it is Megan, she's the words pervert. Tristan's the boat pervert. <laughs> this guy is the crying pervert Yeah, and other people are other types of perverts. (laughs) Like they're the voyeur pervert. They're the bedlam pervert. They're the fucking soldier pervert. Name your pervert. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know what? That might actually be a theme here, right? Is that, (laughs) is that there is something about his desire to have this kind of like voyeuristic experience of seeing other people cry that does like, yeah, yeah. I think the novel presents this as a problem, I will say that.
0: Don't want any more crying porn.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. So he, one patient he meets at, at Bedlam uh, is, is this woman who was driven mad when her father wouldn't let her marry a guy who wasn't rich enough for them. And then he promptly dies in the West Indies. And Harley, when he hears this quote, the tribute of some tears – Which is an odd, but also very common way feeling is described in this novel and also in the sentimental genre that it's like it's a payment for something, again, and transactional and yeah, like some sort of exchange, which is sexual for
2: sure. It's a come tribute of tears.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is amazing this next thing i going to talk about is amazing and it is also one of those moments that indicates to me like that the novel is in on the joke so harley goes to the bro- the, the, the chapter is called the man of feeling in a brothel so he goes to the brothel and Mackenzie, right i mean who i like, learned the ghost whoever the fuck but yeah McHenry mckenzie said tells us from what impulse he did this we do not mean to inquire as it has been against our nature to search for motives where bad woods are to be found which is <laughs> <Just laughs> <laughs> fantastic right like and, and like, so part of the joke there, right, is that like the the way the matter feeling presents is like, well, he must have just wandered in there by accident or perhaps he he was wanted to hear some more. You know, he, he wanted to find someone to uh, to be charitable towards. It's like, no, he was looking to bang in his crisis. Yeah. yeah. He thought mommy and, so, and daddy were
2: hurting each other and he wanted to check that everything was OK. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah exactly. Yeah.
1: So in the brothel, Harley meets the sex worker who had been seduced away from her family by a gentleman. Oh, shall
0: we note how pretty she isn't?
1: Right Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, she right. was
0: above the common size and elegantly formed. Her face was thin and hollow oh, and showed the remains of tarnished beauty
1: well see you think that that is is a knock on her hotness but as we've established for harley that's like it's hell. just tear,
0: it's just crying
1: she cries a lot she's probably a little sick mm-hmm. yep that's,
0: <laughs> that's a time
1: yeah and right so she yeah so she's been seduced away by her family from her family by a gentleman and then abandoned which that is classic sentimental novel stuff for sure Harley cries with her, they, you know, they don't, they don't bang. They just cry. Then her dad. I sh- too
0: have a dead dad.
1: <laughs> yes. Right. Men
0: are trash. <laughs> uh,
1: I know her dad's going to kill Harley at first, but then they cry too. Cause he's like, Oh, okay. I, I get it. You're not, you're, you're not here for what I thought. Speaking of her dad, this is a hell of a line. The pride of a soldier's honor checked for a while, the yearnings of his heart, but nature at last prevailed. He fell on her neck and mingled his tears with her own. Yeah. Yep. 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 Yep.
2: <laughs> there's more there too with the dad wanting to marry her, his daughter.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's there's a lot there. We could go back and, and really really close read that scene if you guys want to. I <laughs> like
2: to um, read it at a distance. Thank you. Yeah.
1: As we said, Harley's out of money because you know kept getting like you know his lunch money taken, uh, <laughs> and and he had he failed I gave miserab- the
0: guy By watching it seemed like a great idea.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. He had failed miserably in the modest task that was his charge uh, of getting the big lease. Uh, so it's time to go home. He meets some assholes and a stagecoach. And yeah, he almost pukes because he's riding backwards. Then close to home, he, he meets yet another sad story. I mean, person, uh, old Edwards, <laughs> whom, who we, he, he used to know. Edwards got kicked off his farm when he fell behind in rent. He gets pressed into the army and sent to India, but he gets kicked out of the army for helping this Indian man who the British are torturing because they think he's hoarding gold. He helps him escape. Edward is going back uh, home to his son and his son's family because uh, there's there's a very convoluted tale. But basically, like the son was going to get effectively drafted, but Edward's like, no, take me instead. So that that's what that's why he went into the army instead of his son. But oh, no, the son has died, which of course he has. And also the squire who evicted evicted the son. He's pulled down the local school, quote, because it stood in the way of his prospects. So two attacks in fairly short order here on both British rule of India and the country gentry that was like making enormous sums off of empire. But, you know, I really want to be skeptical as to how far that critique goes and what we're supposed to do with it.
2: That part, did you see the tweet from the Libert, and and I found this on Reddit, so uh, and I won't tell you where, but there's a liber the libertarians of New Hampshire said um, that they're like don't make kids go to school, just they'll learn more. <laughs> yes, about child labor. The job. Yes,
1: yes. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I did see that. Yeah, yeah amazing yeah Liber- like the
0: like the factory like the weaving like the mills or the the triangle shirtwaist factory yeah, they, for example
1: yeah they did the suite didn't specify but i'm like i i just finished reading volume one of capital and i can tell you some things <laughs> about child labor <laughs> okay anyway yeah we'll, we'll talk more about like oh the political critique here and like the limitations of finally last scene harley is back home and he's dying because of course he's fucking dying. How else would you expect this to end, right? But why is he he's dying? He's
0: looking a little consumptive. No, that's pink.
1: Yeah, no, pale, yeah, pale. Yes, a little pale, a little, uh, like, with the, the opposite. The opposite, Sallow. The opposite segment, yeah, right? Uh, Juan, right? Oh, why, yeah. Why is he dying? Horniness. No, no, no. He He got some <laughs> fever from Edwards. But this sudden illness is closely tied to other passages that talk about how he basically feels too acutely to tell the woman he's in love with uh, that he's in love with her. So she gets engaged to this rich asshole. But really, I think this is a Beth March situation where he's just like too good, psychopathic and pale for this world, much like the people that he's attracted to. Anyway, the woman he's hot for, Miss Watson, she comes to visit him. He tells her he's dying, which is funny because his doctors were just like, Oh, you're getting better. You're not dying. It's like, no, I'm dying. Sir.
2: <laughs> I can I have I can feel it.
1: Yeah, he he can feel yeah, well, he's the man of feeling, right?
2: I'm the man uh, of I can feel it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so he tells Ms. Watson he's dying. She she's sad. And then we get the funniest. Sorry, I meant saddest. I did mean saddest. I swear. <laughs> you're sick. Death scene of the of the 18th century he seized her by the hand languid color reddened his cheek a smile brightened faintly in his eye as he gazed on her it grew dim it fixed, it closed he sighed and fell back on his seat Miss Watson screamed at the sight his aunt and servants rushed into the room they found them lying motionless together, his physician happened to call at that instant, every art was tried to recover them, with Miss Watson they succeeded, but Harley was gone forever, the end
0: (laughs) You mean the chapter entitled, He Sees Miss
2: Walton and is Happy.
1: Yes, yes, Miss Walton. Oh, right, Miss Walton. I've been calling her Miss Watson, but yes.
2: I'm trying so hard not to make the squirting joke that I want to. (laughs) (laughs) But Tristan has to send us out
0: on, we get another one, we get a repeat, we get Edwards to come in and cry his guts out.
1: Wait, oh, right, I'm sorry. Sorry. That wasn't even the fucking that i just decided that that was the last chapter it's not yeah edwards comes in and he cries some more but <laughs> katie I, when we were talking about this on text message i like you accurately summed this up right which was like that the central question here is like is he dead or did he just come like <laughs> right now seriously but you know maybe people listening will think we're just being like 21st century shitheads it's like oh that's no it's like i think that is a very clear like implication that the novel is played with right that it's like
0: and and i there's one more thing there's the conclusion where the whoever it is the curate the ghost the butcher the baker says that i visit his grave i sit in the hollow of the tree it is worth a thousand homilies Every nobler feeling rises within me. Every beat of my heart awakens a virtue, but it will make you hate the world. No, there is such an air of gentleness around, I can hate nothing. But as to the world, I pity the men of it.
1: It is very funny to me because I just finished rereading this that, like, I completely when I was typing this up did not like just blanked on those last two chapters, because I think I They're was so laughing. Dope, though. So yeah. <laughs> but I think I was just laughing so hard <laughs> from the death scene, but yeah. Well, and it's interesting too that, that conclusion, right. It, it turns us back to like this idea of like the didactic, like it's taught us something about the world. It's like, yeah. What buddy, right. <laughs> like,
0: yeah. You know? Go, go cry places. places.
2: Um, <laughs> yeah. You can do it anywhere. <laughs> That's true. Well, They can't stop you. No one can stop you.
1: One thing I will too just say as to like evidence, right? Like, to, you know, in the text for the overt sexuality of like this discussion of feeling is the uber presence of the M dash, as that's being described, which like that is very common in like uh, amatory 18th century fiction and porn. It and uh, which for I think there's a lot of arguments for why. One is it like it keeps like the tension going without like punctuation, but it also just it, 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 it there's like a lot oh, of breathiness. Breathless like yeah, yeah that's like inserted into it so like anytime like 18th century prose is getting like purple m dash is proliferate all over the place and we definitely see that in these scenes of the, in this novel
2: in this book though you can sometimes you can't tell if someone's panting because they just like their eyebrows are too heavy for them to be able to walk real good <laughs> or they have to stop yeah, and yeah. get mad at a bird for pissing them off or they're horny <laughs> yeah
1: yeah <laughs> right yeah exactly, exactly
0: but
2: there is heavy breathing and you can make the argument that all of it is to one end
0: the m dash is the heavy breathing mark of all 18th century prose.
1: yeah <laughs> it is and and which is what yeah i mean like lauren stern who is what a delightful filthy motherfucker that guy is. just I mean, wonderful you know but he like yeah i mean tristram shandy which is an extremely dirty book is is like it is fucking m dash
0: central <laughs> So uh, Tristan, do the context for us, please.
1: Sure. So I'll, I'll mainly do a little refresher on the sentimental novel tradition, which we talked about a bit. I think the last time we talked about it was probably Tristram Shandy. But just a couple of brief things about Henry Mackenzie, since I don't think that's a name you're likely to have heard if you're not an 18th century dork. He was Scottish. He's born in Edinburgh and lived a, a long life. He was born in... 1745 which is the the year of the last Jacobite rebellion in Scotland <laughs> um, to 1831 which is kind of crazy because I mean yeah like that, that that's quite right you know he, he lived in the basically almost the Victorian period and he was you know uh, born at a time when kind of like Britain as a thing was still sort of being hammered out and yeah like he lived through the formation of Britain as pretty much the the global Imperial hegemon. And also Scotland's emergence is a central part of all that, like as a financial center, an industrial center. The Scottish Enlightenment is happening. Uh, You know, Mackenzie was alive when Hume and Adam Smith and Adam Ferguson were all active. And also Scotland is a central part of British literary culture. So Mackenzie was a lawyer and a government official, which is basically what the entire Scottish bourgeoisie of the period was. That was like that. You, you could be a doctor too. Those those were the jobs. Um, but also, <laughs> you could be like
0: a minor curate. Isn't
1: that another one of those? Like- well, yeah. but, I mean, but now you're, you're Church of Scotland, not Church of England. Oh, the, right. So it's not. It doesn't get you quite. Or that there, there's not quite as clear of a path to like the uh, like political influence as there. As it's there. also
0: not so casual a job as I understand. No,
1: I know no, they. they, they the Church of Scotland uh, takes the church part a bit more seriously than the Church of England ever
0: has. <laughs> because uh, that could definitely be a side-side hustle. Yeah. Like,
1: yeah, Oh, yeah. yeah. To be so, a
0: like, priest in the Church of England.
1: Well, that's the thing. <laughs> yeah. a, cur- a curate is just a dude here. Like, I'm the actual priest of this parish, but I don't want to do this, so I'm just going to pay you, like, 50 bucks to, like, show up and, and, and preach for me. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think the, the Scottish Church was, was, was into that. Okay,
2: just... Follow me on this for one second. I'm sorry. Yeah, but yeah. what we need to do, I love this idea, and I'm all about entrepreneurship right now. So I think we need to make an app that gets you a guy from the Church of England or Church of Scotland, whatever, to like come to you on demand. And you it has to be called Goober. Because they're all going to be huge fucking goobers. Yeah, and also God, go. so it works on a lot of levels. And I think this is call me whoever wants to um, program your app. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> but yeah. So in addition to like having the official like Scottish bourgeoisie job, uh, Mackenzie was a novelist and a journalist, and he was a big enough deal that Walter Scott dedicated. His first novel, Waverly, in 1814, to quote our Scottish Addison, Henry Mackenzie, which is a reference to the 17th and 18th century journalist and editor Joseph Addison, who had an enormous influence over English print culture a century earlier. So he was a big deal, um, even though we don't, like, no one knows who he was today. But okay. So why the fuck uh, is this weird-ass book, uh, one that I made you guys read? As we have said, uh, the sentimental novel is a transatlantic literary genre and form. And to recap a bit, I and I really encourage you, if you're interested in this, to go back and listen to our episodes on Tristram Shandy, Benito Sereno, Native Son, uh, Little Women, uh, probably some others, too. But all, all of that gives you a pretty good history of both the sentimental novel and its critiques.
0: We're saving Uncle Tom's cabin for after I leave the show and a half. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: for after we have a we all have a huge falling out for after the schism
1: Right, right. And yeah, so the sentimental novel is all about producing intense feeling in the reader. In the American heyday, it's in the Annabella period, where it was, uh, again, used by both abolitionist writers who wanted to deploy emotion and sympathy to drive political action, ending slavery. And, you know, as Katie has told us, pro-slavery writers who either wanted to reform the system, like that's fucking possible, a nicer way of owning people, like what the fuck? Like, (laughs) it's ridiculous. Um, Yeah,
2: do that, but nice.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, what the fuck? Or cast the slave owners like this benevolent patriarch. Uh, Like, just monumentally gross. But the first appearance of the sentimental is in Britain, uh, at least in the the kind of English uh, language tradition, in the middle of the 18th century. People like Samuel Richardson and Oliver Goldsmith are closely associated with it. And while it certainly does some things the realist novel generally does, like vis-a-vis focusing on regular people, so not like the heroes of epic or romance – and trying to open up uh, the interior psychology of its characters, it is much more invested in emotional response than other novels. So, for instance, of Samuel Richardson, Samuel Johnson famously said, I think I buy in references on the Tristram Shandy episodes, sir if you were to read richardson for the story your impatience would be so much fretted that you would hang yourself but you must read him for the sediment and consider the story as only giving occasion to the sediment which i have to say like i do wonder if part of that isn't what the fragmentariness of this narrative is getting at like this idea that it's not the plot that matters it's the feeling what a little bit i'm kind of like i you know you're kind of on one here sam uh, sam johnson is that richardson is so heavily plotted you know what I mean? So like when, when Johnson's talking about Richardson, he's effectively saying like, yeah, I know this is a million pages and it sucks, but like, isn't there some good crying there? And like Mackenzie's <laughs> taking that. It's like, I'm just going to cut the crap and just write the crying scenes. You know? Yeah.
2: No, it is like an intricately plotted. I know we've discussed this before, but the highest budget pornography f- ever made was this pirate porn pirate- movie yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And nobody is watching that for the plot. Yeah, (laughs) no. So, like, no matter how interesting, Mackenzie is giving you what you want, even if you don't want to go to the back of the blockbuster video to get it.
0: Yeah, right. Yes,
1: exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. So, like, the sentimental is a genre heavily engaged with debates coming out of the Scottish Enlightenment on the nature of moral action and empiricist thinking around emotion and knowledge. Uh, David Hume is central to this, um, but also Smith, uh, whose theory of moral sentiments, which was published in 1759, just a couple of decades before he wrote Wealth of Nations, kind of crystallized and shaped a lot of this discourse. So basically Smith thinks that people are inherently disposed to sympathize with others uh, to varying degrees. Like there is some kind of like innate, like you're either a sympathizing person or you're not. But like we have this effectively because it feels good to do so, to have an emotional response particularly when the root cause of the emotion is at some remove, right? So say our friend loses his house. Our house is just fine, so we have no physical threat or discomfort affecting us, but we get to have that vicarious grief or anxiety for our friend, and that, like, turns us on or something like that, you know? like In addition to, like, us feeling like good people, we, we, we get to feel sad but in a safe way or something like
0: that. So in the, in the like... Vetting process. This is the person who also thinks that bosses are mostly nice. Yeah.
1: You mean Smith is this guy? Yeah. I. Mm. I don't know. I'm actually going to get to this because I actually think that like that mechanism does become a real problem for Smith. Like he does think that this is the foundation of like a moral system, but he also thinks that there are some real limitations there. So I, I'm not sure. I mean, that, I think that's a that's a fairer question, but I, I don't I don't know actually. Because yeah, so like there's a few consequences of this idea for Smith. One, you know, it, this feeling good to sympathize it is at the root of all moral action. In large part because it helps us form what Smith terms the impartial spectator, who is this little imaginary dude, admirably a neutral party in the most lib of senses, that lives in our head and watches everything we do. And so we're always subconsciously worried about what our impartial spectator thinks. This sounds a lot like other ideas of like a moral conscience, but I think it's somewhat different in that one, it is rooted in like a sympathetic drive. Like you have this because you have this capacity to sympathize and that's why you create this mental structure. Um, But it's also really embodying this 18th century idea of the social, like this neutral observer, this dispassioned observer watching this bumble through the public sphere.
2: Um, Listen, I'm not a judgmental bitch. I'm an (laughs) impartial spectator.
0: (laughs) And it's that everybody else deserves judgmental bitch commentary.
2: Yeah. And they just don't know how impartially I'm spectating.
1: Well, and the whole idea of the impartial too, like that that's, that's not taking aside, that does imply that there's some universal kind of moral standard that it has reference to. Although that's weird because I think like part of what Smith is doing here is like, okay, like let's create a moral system that doesn't depend on theology or this kind right. of like that's stable God too. figure. So it's kind of weird that it still does have this like sort of universal standard that could be applied, that things could be applied to.
0: But it doesn't sound like, it sounds like he's doing it in so nice, in a nice enough way that somebody wouldn't be like how dare you say there's no god and he's like no there's a moral God." Con- yeah. you know oh, what yeah, i'm yeah. saying like, like
1: it, yeah he's not he's not doing like the new atheist <laughs> or anything like that <laughs> but yes it, he is trying to get to a a stable moral system that is not like theological in, in, in nature yeah uh, but uh, you know part of what the sentimental do- novel does is absolutely didactic it, it teaches readers to have the right kind of sympathetic response in that kind of smithian sense but there was a lot of social and cultural anxiety about it. For one thing, is it possible to feel too much? And I think this is a big question, because he asks, right? Like, you
0: don't mind dying. Yeah, yeah, he
1: dies at the end of it, like, because he feels too much, and, or, you know, <laughs> or whatever, yeah. like... And his desire for that leaves him kind of incapable of navigating the world. Like he gets conned all the time. Is there something pornographic about all the crying and emotional exchanges of fluid? We've said yes. Uh, And you could read a ton of great scholarship on that from people like Janet Todd and John Mullen. But even in Smith, there's already an idea of sharp limitations to sympathy and the impartial spectator as the foundation of a moral system. One thing, Smith thinks moderation is key. That if your emotional display is too intense, it will weird people out. And similarly, if your situation is too extreme or foreign to them, like Theory of Moral Sentiments has all these passages about how we're more prone to sympathize with rich people than poor people because imagining ourselves as rich makes us feel good in a way that, like, if we imagine ourselves as poor, that there's like too much distance that that's creating, and that kind of shuts down like moral feeling and thought. He also says an Englishman is much more likely to grieve the loss of of a little finger than the deaths of 100 million people in an earthquake in China, which that's a weird analogy. You know, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of weird like that. It's it's like a like a bodily amputation is kind of an extreme, like kind of personal thing to happen to you. So it's kind of weird that he he a uh,
0: hundred million people.
1: Right. Well, that's the thing. Like, you know, so he, you know, it, it's like it's not like he's like you know, your, your, your sports team loses or something. You know, he, he actually does like give like a somewhat traumatic personal thing. But he does then balance it against this much, much greater kind of loss of humanity. But yeah, like Smith thinks all of this is bad. You know, it's, it's a sharp limit to what we can expect human capacity uh, to sympathize to do, you know, in terms of moral and political action. And so I think we see that skepticism not just in famous attacks on the sentimental novel, like from people like Melville and Wright, but also with Mackenzie here, probably who registers both some of the skepticism and uh, that skepticism in the man of feeling, while also himself kind of dead ending at feeling as like, all right, but that's that's kind of where we're stuck rather than political action or something like that. So
2: yeah, the Smith is so great, like it's so weird and great, and it fits perfectly in here because what he's saying also is that if you present something a fact without a narrative, you're never going to get sympathy. You have to do right. exactly what the man of feeling does. There's also more stuff around the Scottish enlightenment, like Hutchison's sixth sense, like that mm-hmm. sympathy isn't the little man who lives in your head. It's like your vision or your like, or any of your, I can't remember all the senses right now, but it's the sixth <laughs> one.
1: Yeah. It's not yeah. the
2: Bruce Willis movie. It's the sixth sense. But I just wanted to tag that on because it's not necessarily a tension, but it does say something that this novel engages with all of these different modes of thinking about sentimentality through the Scottish Enlightenment and other and literary traditions. And we don't land anywhere. But it's so funny that it doesn't matter because we've been through all the stuff. Like it's the most fun way to get yeah. to 18th century moral philosophy you can imagine.
1: Yeah. No. Definitely. Well, and and the other thing too, like the the, the other big um, sort of outgrowth of the Scottish Enlightenment, and not just the Scottish Enlightenment. i mean, you know, this is a big sort of philosophical movement is the idea of empiricism. You know, which I think pretty much like, is there anyone from the Scottish Enlightenment who's not an empiricist? I don't really think so. Um, and 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 yeah empiricism again it's like the idea that everything you know comes through a sensory experience and from without like it, it, it is like a physical experience of the world that then begins to build up this sort of knowledge base and like megan i know you had kind of like noted all of the like yeah people having tummy aches or like people are too pale or there's now there's so they're many flushing.
0: tummy aches
2: in this book
1: it's throughout yeah it really is and and i do wonder if The reason a book that is so invested in like these crying scenes also wants to tell us, yeah, who's feeling a little queasy in the carriage and who's like super pale or who, you know, whatever is because like those two, the discourse of like feeling is like kind of inseparable from theories of the body as well. I mean, is that, would you, you, I mean, do you think that's right, Katie? And I think you've, you've thought a lot more about um, this aspect of it than, than I think I have.
2: I do think that you have to think about the two things together, both because there are the physical manifestations of stuff in sympathy, like there's proof. The tears are not just a co-mingling to be friends and fun together, but it's also showing that actually there's a physical manifestation of my sadness for you. I mean, people Mm -hmm. can fake cry, but also- Not in this book, they (laughs) can't. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, uh-uh. yeah, no, no one's yeah. fake crying. There's also this mirroring thing, right? Like if somebody cries, you cry. And look, and that and it's important to like, you're not going to cry like anyone in the book is going to cry. Because you're not crying with anyone. But also, right. what's going on is like, looking in a mirror is not an experience of the social, But often in sentimental novels, it starts to, it gets to look that way. Like if we both are just looking at each other crying, then we're having a connection. Right. That we're feeling something together.
0: And apparently it can even be absorbed in a slightly different way. So like one of the parts, Tristan, that you're talking about, there's like an early version of it where he he sets out on his journey. And the servant who serves his family or... It's it's another one of those like Game of Thrones situations where somebody took him in as an orphan and uh, he remained in their service. And he tells Harley as Harley is leaving that like, I've been told it's how London is a sad place. He was choked with the thought and his benediction could not be heard. But it shall be heard, honest Peter, where these tears will add to its energy. (laughs) And then like Harley goes to get breakfast and he was like, Uh, my tummy hurt because I had too many feelings in it. (laughs) Yeah, 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 (laughs) yeah. I couldn't eat breakfast. (laughs) Right. And I mean, I think that
1: does also get to like, you know, so in once like the death seat is ridiculous. And I think the death seat is probably satiric to some degree that it is like oh he just felt so much he had to die and also it kind of looks like we're talking about sex here but like i also think there's an implication there about what it would be to live one's life in this way which is that like it almost does make you unfit to like navigate society right like if you're just this sensory sponge of like of like sad stimulus
0: but but i think there's a like you're there's a damp side. sponge or like oozy <laughs> <Yeah>. and yes,
1: <laughs> yes. just absorb absorbing all Bacteria. the fluid. Yeah, back to, yes, absorbing all the fluids, but also like, yeah, like illness. I mean, they didn't have germ theory just yet, but they did have like contagion is this this idea. So there's that. But I think there's a flip side to this too, which would, I think, get also back to like Smith's like, Okay, but we got to be like kind of we got to think hard about where what this would ultimately not do. And that is that like an empiricist outlook, I think, is ultimately very self like it really privileges the kind of individual in that, like if your whole knowledge of the world comes through physical experience, that is like necessarily hyper individuated. Now, like you do like share with other people like, you know, who go through the same experiences, something. But like, you know, I think one of the things like why like Smith's example of the earthquake in China and how, like, an Englishman reading a newspaper account of it, there's, like, an inability to sympathize in some way. I mean, I think Smith is getting at some things like racism and things like that. I think the other thing is that, like, you don't know people on the other side of the world, and so, like, you don't experience them as, like... you know, part of like your moral imagination in the same way. And I think that that gets at like a limitate, like if you're going to take like a strictly empiricist outlook, which is all about like the body is this information sponge. Then I think that does raise some kind of troubling implications about, yeah, like what this would ultimately mean. You know what I mean? And and like, it, it is like notable. I think that Harley does look for a lot of like very individual almost kind of romantic and like sexual seeming kind of encounters as like the site of his own sort of like moral engagement with the
2: world. Yeah. And the way he looks for them is really mechanical. He's like a heat seeking. He's a tear seeking missile. (laughs) And that's, and that's, I think the thing is in part, the education and embodiedness stuff comes together because you have to like educate yourself to have spontaneous flows of feeling Mm -hmm. which is then therefore not you've always been laying the groundwork for it and then there's the sincerity problem which Mm -hmm. is a different matter altogether i guess but in this book there's no like you don't really have that many vicarious experiences of sadness because this guy is such a a dipshit and so it's (laughs) like yeah he by having so much feeling and by being like i'm a twee twee motherfucker the best you've ever seen (laughs) i go around looking to cry it makes it totally impossible for you to get on the same page as him because you'll never top that and you can't even come close and it looks ridiculous
1: yeah for sure
2: well
0: i can't even like stumble you know like trip over my own dick and fall into like brothels or or like card games where people are going to be so sad that i have to also melt in front of them like i'm not just going to be a whoopsie enough person to like encounter every sad story that has ever happened yeah my dad and then my dad threw me out lo and behold my dad's here oh there was a misunderstanding like oh this Mm -hmm. Thank you, the 18th century. My dad and I had Mm -hmm. a misunderstanding.
2: (laughs) 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 That is the slogan for the 18th century. (laughs)
1: Well, and yeah, and I, I wonder too if this gets us to the, the question of the the moment where we hear of like Edwards, like what happened in India, right? Which is like he he saved this Indian guy that was that was getting beaten and tortured, and then he gets like punished for that, you know. So I think people could read that and be like, oh, look, there's this you know really pointed critique of imperialism. Well, so maybe we could like read that scene
2: because it's psycho what they do to the guy. It's it is psycho. psycho.
1: It is psycho. So here, it starts on page 69. This is Edwards recounting the narrative. Amongst our prisoners was an old Indian whom some of our officers supposed to have a treasure hidden somewhere, which is no uncommon practice in that country. They pressed him to discover it. He declared he had none, but that would not satisfy them. So they ordered him to be tied at a stake and suffer 50 lashes every morning till he should learn to speak out, as they said Oh, Mr. Harley, had you seen him as I did with his hands bound behind him, suffering in silence while the big drops trickled down his shriveled cheeks and wet his gray beard, which some of the inhuman soldiers plucked in scorn. I could not bear it. I could not for my soul. And one morning when the rest of the guard were out of the way, I found means to let him escape. Uh, Then he was he was court-martialed and he he himself was uh, was wept and kind of gets sent off across the country to find his way back to I think it was like Bombay to get on a ship. Uh, or Matt uh, Calcutta actually probably at this period, but then, so uh, on, on his travel, he finds this guy again and, and, uh, the, and, 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 you know, they, they, they embrace, there's a tearful embrace. And then the Indian man says to him, take this that he, my dear preserver, it is all I have been able to procure. I begged him not to, to bring himself to poverty for my sake who should probably have no need of it long, but he insisted on my accepting it. He embraced me. You are an Englishman, said he, but the great spirit has given you an Indian heart. May he bear up the weight of your old age and blunt the arrow that brings it rest. Man, there's a lot going on in this yeah, scene. Boy, but... boy,
0: boy, That does feel actually very Uncle Tom's Cabin for me, though, like in the sense that that really grotesque description of physical injury mm-hmm. is like one of the avenues that we have into the sort of like, maximizing our sentimental yes production yet no? no yes
1: I, I think yeah. so. And also, too, that I mean, what's what's being described is really gruesome violence. But what we want to focus on is that the guy was crying like during, you know, like and that's, you know, it's that in and of itself is like the, the weird economy around like what what kinds of feelings are sort of like legible or something
0: is. Yeah. And it's having borne witness to that gruesome violence, too. Right. It's his yeah. like
1: it's like the pledge being the there. Again. Yeah.
2: It's also in this case, not that it's just violent which it is grotesquely but it's also that it's sadistic like they're yeah. they're mocking him and do, and they're plucking his beard hairs and that's like that in the scene stands out as also just like incredibly sick as it, like there's no way to draw comparisons between things like it's all this grotesque bundle of stuff but the things that really shine through are these the moments of incredible cruelty or like, I don't know, you know, and then when they meet again, he says the didn't didn't the guy like kiss his back or some shit like that. Right.
1: Yes. Yeah. He, he pressed me in his arms and kissed the marks of the lashes on my back a thousand times. Yeah. Which is also a very I mean, like that's an extremely uh, at the very least kind of intimate sort of <laughs> connection. You know, like the other thing, too. So, right. So I I think that like you might read this and I think people people have read this and, and think like, oh, wow, this is really negative on the British presence in India. And I think it is. It's also like quite similar to the kinds of stuff that. Edmund Burke said like a decade later in the impeachment of Warren Hastings, who was the governor general of uh, of, of, of uh, Fort William, uh, Calcutta, uh, like he, like Hastings was impeached in the House of Lords for basically um, abuse of office and corruption, but also like kind of atrocities he committed in India. So like my point there is like this isn't like an unfamiliar critique, even as the British Empire in India is getting going. But I think the question for me is like it is so individuated, right? It's like, oh, we see that Edward was such a good guy, and that makes us feel bad. And if we feel bad for this Indian guy, but like, does that amount to like a systemic critique of empire? And I think, definitively, no, right?
2: I think it, am- no, certainly not, but it does amount to a critique of sentimentality in a way, or not a critique, but I think that scene is there in part to remind. You that even if you believe in sentimentality and sympathy, that it's a necessary but insufficient thing always. Because the reason why that guy is not a fucking risible dipshit like the narrator is because he did something right. like mm-hmm. he did a thing. He sacrificed his body, not just his watch or his dad's money.
0: Because right, yeah. even though our, you know, Harley dies at the end of this, it's not in the service of something, right? So it's not like, it's just that he got too feelinged up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Whereas this guy, he also reminds us, you know, I, it's not, I agree with both of you, I don't think it's a critique of Empire. But it's also doing a slightly like, well, I guess there are some nice Indian guys who are like, some people don't deserve the like really violent stuff. But yeah. that just really can't add up to a critique for me. Yeah.
1: No, I mean, this is interesting, like, cause and I saw I like I the Hastings impeachment is such a huge historical event. I feel like it's a little bad to like just bring it up very like, you know, sort of without really getting into it. But like. So Burke, and this is weird because I'm being very nice to Edmund Burke. He actually was like a pretty strong like critic of empire for pretty reactionary reasons. Like his whole thing was like, oh, we're we're not uh, we're just basically like cutting uh, through both our own tradition and Indian tradition. And it's but anyway, but like, yeah, I mean, he was very critical of empire, uh, like of the British presence in India. But like a lot of his strategy for how he, he prosecuted that case or that trial Was a lot of this like catalog of sentimentalized things, you know, like inviting this, like the listeners who are, you know, the, the House of Lords to like have this kind of sympathetic imagination for like kind of individuals that are suffering through this. And you know, that that bears relationship to like again how abolitionist writers wanted to use that. But I think it also like we see why people like Herman Melville and Richard Wright were like, well, but fuck this. This does, you know, it's like, okay, you made some like rich assholes in Britain feel bad about this. But, you know, I guess my question is like, how aware the novel is of that only it, its limitation. And and I'm not sure. I like, I do think this novel is very aware of a lot of like the bullshit around set of mentality, but like what it wants us to think of this scene. I'm, I'm really not, I don't know. I really don't know what I think.
2: On the point about Burke and the trial strategy and making this giant catalog of sympathetic events, it takes two to tangle on that. And so when you're playing the sympathy game, you have to have people who are you can take by surprise or who are sympathetic already so if somebody decides mm-hmm. they're not hearing you they're not believing you they're they're going to do some kind of whatever mental gymnastics necessary to not let it in it's not like we're all the man of feeling people do harden their hearts like not to say it in the cheesiest manner possible but you can do that and this book is always playing with that tension Mm. that some of this stuff is some of the stories in the book are genuinely tragic if you ignore how funny it is but you don't want to
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, right. And, and that is like, I mean, to whatever extent, like Harley's over sympathy makes him unfit for the world. I think that, yeah, the obverse of that is that a lot of people won't like, yeah, will like, you know, like the hardened heart idea. Right. But like, so, so it's like, there is like, there's like this weird balancing act of like, you get too trapped in a feeling pit and then you basically can't do anything. But then, like, if you don't feel at all, then, like, you're basically this fucking monster, you know? And I, and, I which, and that's Smithian, too, right? That, like, there's a right way... There's, like, a right level of feeling. And you feel too much, that's bad. But if you don't feel enough, that's also bad.
0: I wonder, too, if it's, like, our register... We register it differently depending on, like, how much Mackenzie's doing a trope. Because, mm-hmm. like, the woman in the brothel is, like... I. Well, now I've actually read a lot of 18th century novels, yeah. but like even a person who didn't hadn't read a lot of them was like, I've seen this scene seventy fucking times, you yeah. know? Like yeah. that bit is like he's doing a thing we've all seen before, but that's not true of every single version, right? Yeah. Like yeah. writing yeah. backwards in a cab, I think is like not is very relatable, but not yeah. like something yeah. we've seen. And so like he actually does a couple different genres of like sentimental affectation, but yeah. so that. It's an open question for me, too. Yeah. Do we connect more with some than with others? Are we supposed to? I can't help but think, Tristan, that like when he's doing bits, doing tropes, that he knows that we're going to be like, all right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and 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 I think maybe in doing that like drawing attention very much to the like tropiness. That's the thing like it it does it wants to it sometimes give us things that aren't that, you know that like maybe yeah. produce like a more genuine kind of feeling, but I think it also like is Underscoring, yeah, a lot of this is this is boilerplate. This is mechanical and isn't that kind of fucked up? You know, so I I don't know. No, I think that's a great question.
0: There's the moment called A Fragment, it's on 76, where he's talking to Edwards and he's like, Well, what about India?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Because he has this like weird reflection on like, aren't we doing extractive capital? But it's he does this great bit that I feel like i totally recognize from the internet which yeah. is like but what if it's bad never mind we're moving on to the next chapter
1: yeah 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 <laughs> right no he's like yeah like what possible yeah harley's like what 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 possible title do we have to do in any of this and actually he does this is very much like what burke would say in the 1780s which makes me mm-hmm. wonder like would burke kind of ripped off any of mackenzie for his his uh his kind of speeches uh he may very well have but but yeah like but 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 edward tears him out he's like you're a maxims mr harley are certainly right i'm not capable of arguing with you but i imagine there are great temptations uh there are great temptations and a great degree of riches which is no easy matter to resist uh which is kind of a little bit like well yeah it's bad but i mean you know but if
0: you could (laughs) go get money wouldn't you go get money although it's a weird thing to post to harley who keeps charmingly as far as i'm concerned keeps throwing money at people yeah and and i think though he's like he does like this weird um like neocon moment where he's like but what if they didn't work for it and he's like oh never mind yeah
2: well, <laughs> he does have those all the time he has those little intrusive like they get in the way of his having a good time feeling sympathy
1: yeah it's fucking lib right like it's that mm-hmm. like we know no, totally is yeah the bad problem but we also have to be pragmatic about the world i think that like yeah one of the one of the reasons why i love talking about this novel is I think it's a really active question how it is like posing that as a critique, right? That it's like the way of thinking about the world that I'm giving you here is sharply limited and that's a problem or to what extent it just sort of like accepts that problem as the base conditions of the world. And I I still don't fucking know. I mean, I think you could argue that a lot of different ways, actually.
0: I mean, it can't pursue it so far as to make a claim, right? So it has to be no. like, I'm just asking questions. Yeah, it, you know, it is. like it
1: is very asky questions kind of thing. Yeah, but I mean, it's certain like it knows that fucking death scene is funny. Like it, I am convinced to that. Like it knows that is hilarious.
0: Or it wouldn't have the two chapters afterwards that are like, and then somebody else came in and fainted, and then yeah. somebody else yeah. came in and cried, yeah. and then somebody else is yeah. like, by his grave, I felt yeah. tears yeah. and joy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: the way you know he knows it's funny is that miss walton doesn't die
1: yeah 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 You're right. right and they right.
2: poke her they're like oh you're it, fine yeah, it's yeah. but
0: you can't poke the other guy because it wasn't that fucking serious right. yeah that's true right, right.
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <sighs>
0: no you're right though like thank you tristan i while i have limits on my speckless <laughs> boob thing it, i like 90 pages of it yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's yeah. It, yes. it, it,
1: it this was fun. I I uh, I have wanted to revisit this novel for a long time. So,
2: this was awesome. This okay, was- Katie, what
0: are we what are we playing though?
2: All right, our game today is it's called coming or going and it <laughs> relates <laughs> to what we discussed earlier which is that it can be difficult to tell whether in fact, what is going on is that um, someone is busting a nut or whether they are meeting their maker. So with that said, I have some death scenes here, some of my very favorite death scenes. And what I want to know from you is, are they coming or going? And there is a right answer. And you got to pick one.
0: Okay, let's let's do it. If
2: It's Billy, but I already know.
1: <laughs> yep. the, the ocean the ocean is calm
2: right yep. like, <laughs> there's uh, a lot of melville in here um uh, yeah. the, the game this, the game this week was just me doing self-care <laughs> yeah okay yeah, By yeah going back through melville yeah okay uh, so first we have moby dick there's a hint in the name i won't tell you what it is uh, but this is captain ahab he's hunted the whale he's about to there's about to be two deaths, the whale and Ahab. And what Ahab says is, Oh, now I feel my topmost greatness lies in my topmost grief. Ho, ho, from all your furthest bounds, pour ye now in ye bold billows of my whole foregone life and top this one piled comber of my death. Toward ye I roll <laughs> thou all-destroying but unconquering whale. To the last I grapple with thee. From hell's heart I stab at thee. For hate's sake I spit my last breath at thee. Jesus, better sink all coffins and all hearses to one common pool and since neither can be mine let me tow to pieces while still chasing thee though tied to thee thou damned whale thus I give up the spear
0: well you can't give up the spear and also be coming so going right. uh,
1: hey. uh, oh man that's a good point uh, my initial one was definitely coming I don't know yeah, I'm gonna stick with that. But wait, 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 I'm sorry. He tosses the spear? Is that is that the last He says I last? let
2: go it or something? Sorry. I he like, said, he yeah. says I give up the spear. Thus I give up the spear.
1: Oh man. Um God, I don't know. I think there's a good so argument. That's kind of like right? I quit. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, that's true. So that is kind of going. But I'll 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 say I'll say coming. I'll, I'll I'll keep I'll keep on this one.
0: You'll be the um Tristram
2: Shandy of <laughs> Of today. Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 exactly, <laughs> yeah, That's right, yeah.
2: That's the king for a day, whoever's the Tristram Shandler for a day. <laughs> yeah, that sounds yeah. pretty fun, actually.
1: Yeah. I mean, just, to, just watch out for windows.
2: I was going to say something <laughs> to that effect, yes.
1: Yeah. No.
2: Yeah. No. Yeah. Give up the spear that way, all right. Uh, <laughs> okay. So then we have my favorite guy. Well, all our favorite guys, actually. It's Frankenstein. We're talking, we're talking the monster. This is the monster's death scene. What happened was a guy made another guy out of a bunch of dead people, if you don't know Frankenstein. And anyway, then he dies in Antarctica. And it's <laughs> real nuts. Here it is. <laughs> but soon he cried with sad and solemn enthusiasm, I shall die. And what I now feel be no longer felt. Soon these burning miseries will be extinct. I shall ascend my funeral pyre triumphantly and exult in the agony of torturing flames. The light of that conflagration will fade away. My ashes will be swept to the sea by the winds. My spirit will sleep in peace, or if it thinks, it will not surely think thus. Farewell. He sprang from the cabin window on a boat. As he said this, upon the ice raft, which lay close to the vessel, he was soon borne away by the waves and lost in darkness and distance. Bye-bye. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so he doesn't. We don't actually watch him. We don't actually see him die. We only see him describe it. Yeah.
2: No, we see him have his fan. He, his he's having a fantasy. So
0: isn't that just edging? Yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: A lot of good arguments here today.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: I didn't get this quiz in advance. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just asking questions.
2: You've logged into my Google Drive.
1: <laughs> Out through the window, too. That's a little maybe, oh, you know, God. something was interrupted, kind of, you know. <laughs> but, 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 go cool down on the ice flow. So, yeah, that, that is. That, that's that good, yeah. good Edging is right. But I'll, I, I think this is more going, yeah. But, but if we have two options coming or going, I'll say this is going.
0: You're just, you're not working in enough dimensions right now, Tristan.
2: (laughs) Yeah, what you always want to be doing is working as many dimensions as possible. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I've made it to seven, and then I couldn't do it anymore. Okay, here's just, I'm just going to say this, and Megan, don't cry. Stay gold, pony boy. (laughs) 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 Oh, it's
0: Johnny. Johnny what is the because it's definitely coming when it's Dolly, and i think it's going with johnny because going off in a hail of bullets like that is like metal but just like i saved it's actually told it's like classic sentimental literature isn't it he saved a bunch of kids from a fire
1: yeah yeah oh no yeah 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 i mean i think i think ya is definitely uh you know in in the sentimental genre but yeah no i i yeah I, i i agree with that for for johnny for johnny uh Johnny K- Johnny K- Johnny Cake Johnny Cade, Johnny Cade mm-hmm. yeah.
2: We got the outsiders and we got see he, co- he coming or going, going coming in yeah. Because we going. found another uh, we have found another exemplar for coming in yeah. that book yeah. Okay, so he's gotcha so yeah. he's so and someone's we coming. To, and we
1: coming.
0: have both right, and that's true in Moby Dick too. But yeah.
1: like
0: this and, one is the going
1: and also like johnny's death is just horrible you know like i
0: mean there's it's it's (laughs) it's very
1: it's yeah it's sad and not not in not in a way that i think you know raises eyebrows or anything like that so
0: billy bud truly is the singularity here it's like both yeah
2: yes i do have billy bud i was gonna do arthur dimsdale's death scene but let's just let's just fuck it up with more melville it's yeah that's coming yeah But uh, here's Billy Budd's death scene. In case anyone hasn't heard it, this is a public service. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so he's being hanged. He's being hanged for punching a guy to death. Yeah. Just know that. And a single punch. I just want to, like, just, you know, bring us back.
0: Just, like, pretend to be there. A single yeah.
1: in the forehead yeah. not in the jaw not in the nose like dunk like yeah yeah
0: he punches a he, disney villain right in the
2: head yeah he can take jake and logan paul at once yeah <laughs> um without volition as it were as if indeed the ship's populace were but the vehicles of some vocal current electric with one voice from a low and aloft came a resonant sympathetic echo god bless captain veer And in that instant, Billy alone must have been in their hearts, even as he was in their eyes. At the pronounced words and spontaneous echo that voluminously rebounded them, Captain Veer, either through stoic self-control or a momentary semen retention, or a momentary (laughs) paralysis induced by emotional shock, stood erectly rigid Mm -hmm. as a musket in the ship armor's rack. Mm -hmm. The hull, deliberately recovering from the periodic roll to leeward, was just regaining an even keel when the last signal, a preconcerted dumb one, was given. At the same moment, it chanced that the vapory fleece hanging low in the east was shot through with a soft glory as of the fleece of the Lamb of God seen in a mystical vision. And simultaneously, you don't see that every day, therewith watched the wedged mass of upturned faces. Billy ascended, and ascending, took the full rose of the dawn. <coughs> i mean that's the jizziest death scene in american
0: literary history
1: yes yes uh all all, everyone coming at at the same time yeah 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 yeah. with all the creatures of the ocean as well
0: and the ocean (laughs) itself and the the, and and the dawn
1: and i think yeah i think i think i think uh god or at least like apollo or something yeah it's yeah yeah it is yeah Billy, Billy Budd is, yeah, the horniest, well, Melville wrote a lot of books because I was going to say the horniest book in American literature. But, uh, <laughs>
2: Pierre's horny in an upsetting way.
1: Pierre is, yeah, Pierre is a sister horny, polycule triad. Thing, yeah. <laughs> I
0: but. mean, Moby Dick is awfully horny.
1: Moby Dick's very horny. The, uh, the squeeze yeah. of the hand chapter, classic. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: The, uh, They're having a good ass time. So just by sheer fact of having, they're all, they're all coming. Because yeah. if we learned one <laughs> thing from this book, it's that when you're going, you're also coming. Yeah. So ergo, <laughs> it's before to propter hoc, post hoc, you're coming. So it's all coming. So Tristan, you win by virtue of the more comings. Okay. I would like to give an honorable mention <laughs> to Megan because some of the justifications here were things I had not wrapped my mind around i hadn't been in adequate dimensions but i think that both of you achieved the glory that one usually only sees at the full rose of the dawn
0: <laughs> i'm just saying that an article about edging a frankenstein study is something i would read yes something
1: i would read that yeah uh
0: thank you thank you're a brilliant you. human woman uh, and this has been Better Red Than Dead. You can find me on Twitter at Teslasaurus, Tristan on Twitter at TJ Schweiger, Katie on Twitter at Katie Crywo. You can find the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Better Red Pod, and email us at Better at Podcast at gmail.com. But only if I don't know if I want to get emails on novels where people are coming or going. Do no, we?
1: no, let's not. No. You just, just don't, don't email don't. us. Yeah, skip don't email your, us. Skip
0: the week. oh email us if you cheated on the ap lit exam and you used our show as your cheat sheet
1: (laughs) yeah i we would yeah we would really love to hear that for sure that's
0: what we want to know about we want to know if you talked about the fail son in your ap lit exam yeah so uh our intro music is "Love bronstein by the redskins and used with their permission our logo is created by jane bonsack of jb design and content please rate review and subscribe Next week, we have Dune. It's a beast. And OMG, the much requested Great Gatsby is on deck right after that. So thanks, comrades.